This podcast is presented by Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Crimmins Realty. Along with Tom and Suzanne, it's our hope that this show helps shine a bright spotlight on our area and celebrates what makes it an extraordinary place to call home. To learn more about our community, sign up for our newsletter, or to simply find your dream home on Staten Island, go to TomCrimmonsRealty.com. The Honest Eye Podcast is part of the Our Community Plus Lifestyle Network and a member of the local independent online news or Lions Publishers Initiative. We're proud to be one of the hundreds of organizations across the United States and Canada supported by the Democracy Fund, Facebook Journalism Project, Google News Initiative, and the Knight Foundation, and we love doing our part to elevate influential voices from our hometowns. Now, on with this month's show. On this episode of the Honest Eye Podcast, Women's History Month is marked across the borough through art, cooking, creating, and portrait picture taking. How the legacy of women of achievement lives on in imaginative ways. Also this month, we introduce you to our local Hero of the Month, who is a pioneering woman herself, striving to make the borough we all love a caring and safe place to live. Plus, a review of what makes Staten Island a great place to call home, according to an immigrant who moved to the borough and is living out the American dream. Hello, I'm your host, Patty Murphy. Staten Islanders marked Women's History Month in a variety of artistic ways in honor of change-making women. That tops our island-hopping segment, our take on noteworthy, local, and positive things you need to know this month. In celebration of Women's History Month, island-based institutions highlighted trailblazing and talented women through different artworks. Staff from Staten Island's own Alice Austin House led family portraiture workshops. Austin is known as one of the country's earliest and most prolific female photographers. Makerspace NYC guided visitors in assembling, decorating, and flying a small wooden airplane inspired by Amelia Earhart, the first woman aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. These programs and others in honor of Women's History Month were made possible thanks to the Staten Island Children's Museum, located on the grounds of the Snug Harbor Cultural Center. The mission of the Staten Island Children's Museum is to nurture the creativity and curiosity natural to all children, to recognize and celebrate different learning styles, and to demonstrate vividly that learning can be exciting and fun. Borough President Vito Fisella invited local Ukrainian community leaders, members of the Staten Island religious community, and representatives from the Jewish Community Center of Staten Island to discuss ways borough residents can help Ukrainians worldwide as the war-torn country continues to endure the Russian invasion. JCCs around the globe are working tirelessly to help refugees from Ukraine, A list of JCC-vetted initiatives to support can be found on SIJCC.org. 
A Ukrainian flag, which was donated, is currently on display on the exterior of the Borough Hall building that faces Richmond Terrace and all of downtown Staten Island in a showcase of support for Ukraine. As the number of coronavirus cases continues to decline, promising flashes of normal life have begun to reappear in New York City. On Staten Island, that means the return of the local St. Patrick's Day parade. Kathleen Gorman of Annadale served as Grand Marshal for the 57th annual Staten Island St. Patrick's Day Parade. Fellow Hibernians consider her to be the go-to person for Irish history in the borough and describe her as a guardian of Irish tradition. There are hundreds of small businesses along the Forest Avenue parade route that thrive from the event, making staff and proprietors grateful to socialize with thousands of spectators following last year's parade hiatus. Now, we are proud to bring you our local Hero of the Month, a segment made possible with support from Tom and Suzanne Crimmins of Tom Crimmins Realty. In this installment, we introduce you to an African-American woman who has made history in our borough by leading with compassion and an intense work ethic. In this extended interview, we discussed Inspector Tania Kinsella's secret to maintaining professionalism and resilience. So Inspector, thank you so much for speaking with me. I'm excited to talk to you today. Thank you, thank you, I'm happy to be here. First things first, did you always know that you wanted to be a police officer and what drew you to the law enforcement profession? I went to John Jay and I wanted to do law. So I was gonna go to law school after John Jay. And one day there was a job fair for law enforcement, for the US Marshals, NYPD, FBNY. So my friends and I said, let's sign up to take a test. So we ended up getting the notice in the mail to take the test. And I'm like, oh, I really wasn't there. I never, I don't have police officers in my family. My mother is a nurse. My stepdad is a chef. And we took the test and then I got the results. And I'm like, oh, wow, I did good. And I joined. It was the best decision I've ever made. Ultimately, what did you like when you were finally like in the academy and starting out your career? What was it about the law enforcement profession that seemed to agree with you? I liked the most about the camaraderie, honestly, when I started. When I first started, it, I loved the camaraderie. Like you gain 32, 36,000 brothers and sisters that stand by you no matter what, good, bad, or indifferent. So that's what I loved. And then as I started to grow in the, the police department, I started to love helping the community. I love going to jobs, making a difference. I love like people looking to me for help. That started to be the most rewarding. Wonderful. I'm wondering, did any leaders or officers or even family members influence your like development? Well, I get my work ethic from my mom. You know, my mother is a single parent of immigrant from Guyana. And for my mom, she ruled with an iron fist. She was in the military. And I always used to see my mom just always give her best at everything that she does. 
So that definitely shaped who I am as far as my drive to be better and do better. And as far as mentors, I've been so lucky in my 18 and a half years on the NYPD that I have a slew of, of mentors. I had Chief Rodney Harrison, Inspector Pacino, Charlie McAvoy. I've been very lucky that I could be able to pick up the phone and call any one of these individuals. And some are even retired and still get guidance. I want to acknowledge that you're the first African-American woman to command the 120 precinct. Yes. And I wanted to ask about some of the challenges you've navigated throughout your career as you've been committed to protecting the residents and visitors of New York City? So in general, my story is not like a glamorous story. You just work hard, you take the exams, you lead with love, you love what you do and everything will follow. Um, I have a reputation of being very tough and intense. So I was always able to sit at any table and be able to talk about my statistics, talk about my community and the love for my community, the love for my cops. So that 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 is what pushed me. But I really, you know, as women in general and any job, right? As women, I feel like we do have to prove ourselves a little bit more than our male counterparts. But I love it. I love the challenge. I love that, you know, that I'm being challenged every day because I wake up and I, I look forward to the challenge. I look forward to doing what, what the men can do or better. <laughs> I love that. What are some of the leadership principles that you follow? Do you have philosophies that you're able to share? So I am a big component of leading by example. I was promoted to sergeant with exactly five years on the job. So most of my career, I've been a supervisor. I've been a leader and I love to lead by example. Like, for example, uniform appearances. So that's one of the things. And I also feel like I, I'm not afraid to go out there with my officers and lead from the front. I'm a frontline supervisor. I'm there with them through the good, the bad, the ugly. And I, I lead with love. I love my cops. I love my community. I love my cops on, on or off duty. So if they have situations at home, I have an open door policy where they could come in and always talk to me. We'll figure it out. Whatever it is, we always try to find a way to figure it out. Um, and same thing with my community leaders and even residents. I always encourage people to come see me. If there's a problem, call me day and night. I will get back to you. We will figure it out. I like that because I don't want the one to old precinct to be a place where people feel like a sense of anxiety when they come in here or uh, coldness. I want them to feel free to come in and even when there's not something going on bad, to just come in and, and just feel like this is part of their community. And it is, we're part of the, their community, not just when something bad happens. Yeah, I know you're a Staten Islander and serving in the borough that you call home. So how do you cultivate relationships with people in the community and, and why is that so important to you? That's very important. That's right there with, you know, policing and addressing crime, right? Your community have to feel comfortable with you being a leader and knowing that you're listening to their pleas or their help, whether it's a car parked in front of their driveway or something minor to something major. And I think that's really important that community is able to have 
a certain amount of trust in the one to all precinct that will be there, not just when it's in distress, but when you know we know there's a family that needs clothing or or we're stepping up to the plate, not just to put cuffs on people, not just to be report takers, but to actually help enhance the quality of life of the residents of the North Shore. I know you're an avid athlete, specifically a, a runner. Yes. What do you get from your athletic life that serves you in your professional world? So I'll be honest with you. I only started running six years ago. I, I did track a little bit in high school, but in my adult life, I only started really long running uh, six years ago. And when I first started, someone told me, oh, you're not going to be able to do a marathon. That year, I did the marathon. And I fell in love with running. And I felt like there is a sense of a sense of peace. I figure out life in my head when I run. And if you could do a marathon, 26.2 miles or 13.1, if you could do whatever you, you set your heart out to do, you could do anything in life. And that's how I, I manage my dealings. If I feel like something is really like intimidating me because I'm human, right? We're still human. And it, it will be a lie if I tell you that I don't get intimidated by certain things or certain goals. So I always refer back to, I did 26.2 miles five times in my life. I could do anything. And I translate that to the officers. I, you know, right now, there's uh, some promotional exams coming up within this year. And I tell the cops, I'm like, you are setting yourself up for the rest of your life. You can do this, you can study, you can, you know, pass, and you could be right where I'm at. Because I didn't think that I, I was a cop here. Mm -hmm. I started my career in the one to all precinct, and I never thought that, hey, I could one day come back and sit in the big, the big chair, right? <laughs> I never thought that, but I, I always wanted it, but I never thought like, wow, it's going to actually happen. And look, I'm here. So I'm very grateful at, to be here. And it is not just because of my solid work ethic, but it's also because of the community. They saw something in me and pushed for me to be here. So I am indebted to make sure that I don't let them down. I definitely agree that running can translate to resilience. Our sponsor, Tom Crimmins, described you to me as a rising star in the NYPD. How did it feel to finally assume the position of commanding officer at the 120 precinct, even though you said you, you weren't sure you would ever have the big seat. But how did it feel when you finally? Oh yeah. man, it was surreal. It was surreal because it was always a dream of mine. It's always been a, a career goal to lead, to lead the place that I grew up, grew up in the 120. I started my career in the 120. I live, currently live in the 120. So it was very important. It was like a dream come through, but I'm still humble because again, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the residents of the North Shore to having faith that they could trust, trust me to be their leader of crime and their safety and so forth. What do you want to share with young women about your story of resilience and professionalism? So I have a young daughter, right? My daughter is, is 11. And I never thought of myself as a mentor until I had my daughter. And then I realized that she's watching me. She's watching everything that I do and watching the things 
how I react to things, how I react to failure, right? How I react to wins and how I remain humble. But something told me that every one of us, even the female cop on patrol, even the janitor, we all mentor each other in our own little ways. You know, because sometimes some female officers show me something that I didn't know about myself or I see something and I'm in awe of them. And I, I love it. And I love watching my daughter. I see certain things that she does and I'm like, wow, like she teaches me. At 11 years old, she teaches me. I never forget, she didn't like, my daughter doesn't like running at all. Like she's not a good runner. I mean, not runner, uh, swimming. And I never forget watching her swim and I never forget watching her competition. And I'm like, wow, this kid went from like hating swimming to like winning. And I remember saying to myself, wow, this child is resilient. And that's something that I learned that if I don't necessarily succeed at one thing, I keep at it until I get, I gain small wins until I get the big win. So that's important that we all are leaders and motivators in our own right. I think that's wonderful. As someone who grew up in the 120 precinct, I'm one of four girls. I have two nieces. It's been an honor to speak with you today. I want to say thank congratulations you. again on commanding the 120 precinct. And thanks thank for you. all your lessons. Thank you. And finally, in case you missed it, in our last edition of On SI, we heard from the 123rd Precinct Deputy Inspector Andrei Smirnov about living out the American dream in the borough with the strongest community ties. Staten Island is such a small island. It doesn't matter what precinct you work in. You still live here and you bump into people off duty and on duty. You know, we all go to the same mall. It couldn't feel more right to be here because you truly believe that statement that you are making a difference here because you know what? I'm protecting the same schools that my kids go to. I'm protecting the same businesses that my kids go for a bagel in the morning and you get their breakfast, you know, or a car mechanic down the block that's doing my tune-up or changing my oil. Or if I just go shopping with my wife on a, on a weekend or go watch a movie. And again, and when you're saying that Staten Island is it's, it's a small little town, you, you really truly believe that. You believe that you're almost like a local sheriff that you know everybody on that island. It just makes that connection, bridging that gap with the community just makes it so much easier and it feels it feels right. It feels right. That'll do it for this edition of the Honest Eye Podcast. On behalf of Tom and Suzanne Crimmins, the owners of Tom Crimmins Realty, thank you for listening. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at TomCrimmonsRealty.com. We feature stories that matter to locals. If you have one you'd like to share, email it to us at stories at honestsi.nyc. Until next time, be well.